We'll be taking our scripture from uh, the letter of 1 John, chapter 4, and verses 15 through 19. Now, I mentioned the, what is contained in these letters quite often. You hear me uh, talk about uh, uh, God's love and, you know, that God is love, and, and John indeed declares that here in this chapter in verse 16, uh, among other places that we see it declared, but it is in this chapter. So you're, you're pretty familiar with what we talk about within this scripture here. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in life, and I think we've probably seen that uh, in this past week that we have experienced, a lot of times hate prevails in this world. Hate prevails in life. And for the child of God, for the child of God, we have to understand the only way, the only way, well, there is no way if you're a child of God. For hate to prevail in your life. And that, my friends, is a scary proposition for the world. Because understand this. If hate, if you are controlled, if you are enraged, if you are embroiled, if you are consumed with hatred, you are not a child of God. And you're like, well, Joey, that's awful judgmental of you. Hold on just a second. That's not Joey's opinion. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. And you see, that's what we were discussing in Sunday school this morning. How that some uh, people in our world can get bent out of shape by the perception that the child of God, that the Christian uh is in judgment of the world. No, no, no. The Christian is simply a reflection of he in whose image he is made. Genesis 1.27, let us make mankind in our image. That's us. That's our goal. That's our purpose in life is to reflect his image, to be the image of God to a lost and a dying world, to be the image of God to our children, to our grandchildren, to those around us. We are to reflect the image of God. And tell me, tell me, how can somebody say, I'm reflecting the image of God and be filled with hate? You can't. You just can't do it. Well, don't take my word for it. Let's read some scripture that proves uh, exactly what we're talking about. In First John chapter four, beginning in verse fifteen. Now, now understand. This is just a snapshot of of more than we could ever preach in in a year, even that's contained within uh, this letter here. Uh, but in First John chapter four, beginning in verse fifteen. Whosoever 
shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that is not made perfect, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Get this. We love him because he first loved us. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? That's good. Just a little background on this letter. Uh, this is what's known as a, a general epistle. It's a, uh, a letter written by John, uh, probably sometime toward the end of his life. He'd probably already experienced the Isle of Patmos, probably had already uh, you know, written Revelation and everything, and this is a letter uh, toward the end of his life or the end of his ministry uh, when he was probably based around Ephesus in that area. But it's not written to one particular church in general, like, you know, the letter to Romans. This was written to the church in Rome uh, with the intentions of being spread about. But this letter was written as a general epistle. In other words, it was understood to be uh, uh, spread around to all the different churches. And that's why John is writing this letter. John is writing this letter, too, because there are many abroad in that day that are spreading heresies, that are spreading untruths, and that are spreading things about the, the church and the body of Christ that John is having to clarify. Now, I recognize and understand that John is what he, John often refers to himself, and we know that he is that disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He, I mean, John was... Not only was he part of the disciples, he was part of the inner circle of the disciples. I mean, Jesus loved him. He loves all of us. But Jesus understood that John was passionate about his service to the Lord and Savior. So when John sits down to write this letter, understand and know what this man has already seen in his life. When he talks about the love of God, understand what this man has already witnessed in his life. They have tried to kill him, but he hadn't died yet. You see, they've tried everything they can to silence him, but they haven't done it yet. He's watched the man that he followed for three and a half years, that he loved more than his own life and listened to his teachings. He saw that man crucified on the cross of Calvary. He felt the anguish. He felt the pain when he looked and saw Jesus there on the cross. He felt that hopelessness as he looked and saw. And he thought, this is it. I thought it was going to be different than this. All of the disciples thought that. 
There wasn't one of them that when Jesus went to the cross, it said, okay, this is, Jesus told us it was going to be like this. This is the way he foretold everything's going according to plan. No, they were fearful and they dispersed. They were scared because they didn't understand. They thought everything had gone awry. That everything had happened exactly opposite of the way that it had supposed to. The Messiah was supposed to liberate Israel. Jesus was hanging on the cross. And John knew the despair as he looked and saw his Messiah, his loved one, dying on the cross. He knew that. But do you know what? It didn't take long, what? Three days later, he knew the joy. He knew the hope. When Mary come busting in the door over there and said, he's not there. He, he, he's not there. They're like, Mary, what are you talking He sent me to tell you to go to Galilee and meet him. He's not in the tomb anymore. And John and Peter took off running and went to the tomb and went over there and looked and saw what? Empty tomb with the napkin folded up and laying at the head. There it is. Believe me. I don't know if Jesus folded up or the angels folded up, but one of them folded up and said, here, I put this here nice and neat so y'all can find it when you come in here. He's not here anymore. And Jesus was gone from the tomb. John experienced that joy and no doubt exhilaration for the next 40 days as he ministered to them that few times as they waited in anticipation to meet with Jesus again uh, as he was going about uh, he, the great uh, Bible study on the road to Emmaus and no doubt the anticipation that they had to talk with Jesus during that 40-day period, to know that he was dead and is alive. And now he's alive forevermore and he, as he's teaching them, as he's showing them, I have done these things. These things have been accomplished for your benefit. So that my word might go out to a lost and a dying world. So that no one will ever again have to die without knowing Jesus Christ. For all those that had died before, for all those that would come afterwards, he died for every one of them. John knew the joy of waiting for those teaching, being with him. And I'm not sure what they felt the day that he ascended back, that 40th day afterwards. And, and you know, they had met with him and they talked with him. And, and when he ascended back, because you understand what, how, how the disciples are thinking about this. As, as Jesus is ascending, he's met with him. He says, now go out into all of the world, teaching, preaching, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And guess what, disciples? I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. And then he began to ascend. He ascended out of their sight. And, and you know, like I say, I'm not sure. They could have went two different ways. They could have been, uh, you know, strucken with awe again and, and, and despairing like, man, I wish he would stay with us. But then again, I'm thinking that they might have been thinking, you know, it's probably not going to be long 
until what did the, the two men standing by when he left? Man of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus will come again in like manner. And they probably said, you know what? I bet, he be, I bet he's coming back next week. It could be a month. It, could, it may not be long. We better get busy about his business because it's probably not going to be long before he comes back. 2,000 years later, and we're still preaching that same message, aren't we? Amen. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And what's the world saying? <laughs> Man, y'all been preaching that stuff for 2,000 years. <laughs> Y'all been preaching that for thousands and thousands of years. Jesus ain't coming back. Why don't y'all give up on this fairy tale? No, no, no. No fairy tale, is it? Because the Savior is going to return in like manner. He's coming back. You see, the world has grown complacent. The world has grown comfortable in their sins. They've grown comfortable where they're at. But John walked with this man. John knew this man. John knew what was going on. And when he wrote this letter to the church, John knew what love meant. He knew what love meant. Let's very quickly look at what John, at each verse, what he was saying there. Because each one of these is important to understand and recognize. This is a letter to us, church, to the believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? John's not sending out an evangelistic message to the lost world to try to draw them in. No, John is sending a message to you, born-again believer. He wants to encourage you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to make you know something. And this it's what he wants to make you know. Notice what he says in verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. You see, we try to make Christianity real complicated. Now, listen, there's a lot to it. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot to it. But salvation in Jesus Christ is the simplest thing you will ever experience. That's it. It's the simplest thing you will ever experience. Who say you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to accomplish this, got to accomplish that. No, you've got to do exactly what Paul, this, what John is describing is exactly what Paul describes, is exactly what Peter describes. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? You see, there's a lot of people that say what? Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good rabbi. Jesus was a good prophet. No, uh-uh. Jesus is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. And you see, there is the line of demarcation right there. There's a lot of people on this side that say, well, Jesus is a good person. We don't have to teach that he is deity. Uh, no. You see, not only did Christ proclaim that, but listen to the man that walked by his side. Whosoever shall confess that what Jesus is, the Son of God. 
God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So he's making that very clear. Those in this life that will not confess that Jesus is the Son of God are not Christians. They are not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Might seem harsh, might seem judgmental, but it's scripture. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And don't get caught up, all right? Don't get caught up in all this junk of the world on these uh, pronouns here. He and him and all such as that. It's talking about everybody. Don't get caught up in all that foolishness of the world. This is what the Bible says. This is what scripture teaches us. That unless you confess that Jesus is the son of God. Okay? What Confession is what? Confession is something that everybody hears and everybody knows, right? It's not some of this stuff like, I believe this, but I don't have to say anything about it. I believe this, but I'm not going to let this get out. I'm not going to let my family know. I'm not going to let my friends know. Uh-uh. No, no, no. This is something you cannot contain. That, that will well up within you. That cannot be contained within you. That you will have to let the world know. You will have to confess it. That Jesus is God. John says that. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Notice this. And we have known, verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Here we go. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Once again, a lot of words, very simple, very plain. John is speaking here of what he knows. And here we have one of the greatest characteristics of our God. Of what makes God, God. Who he is. God does not show great love. God does not give great love. God is not revealing great love. God is love. He is love. And when we begin to think about that, when we begin to understand what Scripture is revealing to you and I, we are left with the fact that anyone who declares to know what love is must know who God is. Because God is love. Now you see you get off in some of this pantheistic and uh, other new age junk out into the world. And they'll tell you that God is everything. God is everywhere. God, and they may even use this term, God is love. Oh yeah, he's everywhere. He's, no he's not. He's personal. He's real. He's identifiable. He's not, he is not, as the, the pantheist would say, he is everything. 
that God is everything and we just, you know, universally go back into everything. That's a bunch of foolishness. John tells us that God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. You see where John's taking us now, okay? You see where John's taking us. Because understand, somebody that's traveling this road right here, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, somebody that's dwelling in the love of God, God is love, and I'm dwelling in Him, then He's dwelling in me. Somebody that's traveling down this road, guess where hate has a place in your life? It don't. Nowhere. Exactly. It has no place whatsoever. Notice what John says in the next verse. Because a lot of people will tell us in this life, well, there's a, you can never attain perfection in anything. <laughs> well, I, I'll agree with you on that. But that don't mean we can't try. That don't mean I'm not going to try. And I believe there is one way to reach perfection in this life. Look at this. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. Perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You see, here we go, Christian. Here we go. Because this is that chasm, if you will, in the road that only those who believe in Jesus Christ are able to transcend. Everybody else is left on this side of the canyon. They're not able to get over. They think Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a good teacher. They think God, you know, is, has a lot of really good love. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure about all this other holiness stuff. And they're stuck over here. But those who really truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, their love is made perfect, then they, what, may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he, Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, as he is, so are we in this world. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Think about that. Think about that. Who am I? Who am I to say that I will stand boldly in the day of judgment, knowing my sorry, wretched condition, my, my sin-filled, my, my decrepit, just who am I to think that I can stand at the judgment seat of a holy God in boldness? That I can stand there in boldness before God. Who am I? You got that. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. But 
he's not looking at me. He's not seeing me. You see, herein is our love made perfect. When we understand the love of God for his creation. People want to lay all this stuff at God's feet these days. Well, if God was this, he'd do that. If God loved this, he'd do that. And all such as that. No, you... The world has been blinded by the lies of Satan. The love of God has been manifested to you and I in perfection, in the person of Jesus Christ. That's all we confess and believe as the scriptures have described the Savior. That's all you have to do to be saved, to be covered by that sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ as the day of Passover when the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost and the lintel. On the day of our justification when we in faith believe that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. The day we accept that in faith, God takes the blood of Jesus Christ and applies it to our doorpost, heart and lintel. And we are saved. We're justified. We're justified. The destroyer will pass by, pass over you. That's perfection. You see, that's what God sees on the day of judgment. Not my decrepit sinful condition, but my faith, my perfect love in his son that I have the boldness to believe that he can save me. That I am his and he is mine. Who am I? I'm nobody. But he is everything. That's how we have faith. That's how we have boldness in the day of judgment. John says, this is how our love is made perfect. And he says in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see what John's saying, child of God? There is no fear in love. <coughs> he didn't say, you know, you're going to have a little fear here and there. Or you're, you're, you might fear on the weekdays, but on the weekends you'll be fear free. You know, no. John said there is no fear in love. There is no fear in in love. What's he talking about? We all know, we've all experienced fear before. We know what fear is. But spiritually speaking, we understand the very same concept of fear in our spiritual lives because each and every one of us that know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ have dealt with the temptations and the assaults of Satan to own our faith to try to convince us what? That we are not saved. 
We're, we're not, how can you think that God had saved you? How can you think after all that you have done in your life that God has saved you? You're living a lie. You're living a lie. And you see the devil's trying to sprinkle fear in our life. Fear. Oh, how can you possibly think that God, God don't love you. Even if he existed, he didn't, he wouldn't love you. And you see Satan tries to cast fear into our life to make us doubt, to put the seeds of doubt, to put fear in our life. But what does John say? There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. <laughs> Who is perfect? Who is perfect? There's only one, right? There's only one. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. You see, child of God, we understand what the world cannot because they have not accepted in faith. We understand what those who are out here living a lie cannot because they think their salvation is found in the works that they do and what they accomplish in this life. They think that they can achieve enough to get them into heaven some way. But we understand that our salvation is found in none other than the finished, accomplished work and person of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. End of story. That's it. That's it. How can I stand boldly before God? Because I didn't have to do nothing. All I did was say, Jesus, save me. I believe. I didn't have to say, you know, I didn't have to go over here and negotiate well, Jesus, you know, I know you're going to save me, but uh, uh, how, many, how many homeless people do I need to, uh, you know, uh, build a house for? How many, how many people out here on the streets do I need to cook meals for? Uh, how many, uh, you know, and now don't get me wrong, all these things are good things, you know, such as that, but they ain't getting you into heaven. They're not going to save your soul. Our righteousness our righteousness, all of mankind's righteousness is what? Filthy, stinking rags before an almighty God. It is an insult to God for you to think that you can do anything to accomplish your own salvation. Only God could accomplish it through his son, Jesus Christ. Don't you insult God that way. Oh, God, I'll do this and I'll do that. I'm a good person, God, so I know I'm going to... No, no, no. You have insulted God. You have blasphemed the Holy Ghost for you to say that you can do anything to accomplish your own salvation. You see, that's Satan talking. But John says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Here we go. And then the last verse, what does he say? Oh, yeah. We love him because what? 
He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. I have a, well, I don't know. I just, I just get a kick out of, you know, all these uh, supposedly intellectual, scientific minds, all these great, you know, uh, shows that, that come on TV and stuff like that, and they'll, they'll, you know, always delve off into these philosophical questions. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken or the egg? Well, and you see, they they trying to outthink themselves. They're trying to prove their 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 merit to mankind. They're trying to impress mankind. Is what they're trying to do with all kind of such foolishness as that. And you see, people will get caught up that in in a spiritual nature. John shows us and tells us we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We. Love him because he first loved us. It's, you know, just like we were speaking of a while ago, no one, no one, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your pedigree is. I don't care how many college degrees you have. I don't care. You could have been baptized every day of your life if you wanted to. You will never, never approach God on your own. The only reason we have access to him is because he has granted it and he has permitted it through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the movement of his Holy Spirit. We turned our back on him. You see that day in the garden? I think... Sometimes we don't comprehend what was done that day. The act that was done that day. We, you know, we think, well, we sinned. We, you know, we turned our back on God and, you know, he kicked us out of the garden. And it's like, no, we don't, we don't truly comprehend how much God loves us. How special a creation that we are to God. You think about this now. Think about this. How special that we are to him. We turned away from everything he ever did for us. All that he ever created for us. We were given dominion over everything he created. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, if I was uh, over Amazon or over uh, Walmart or over uh, uh, any kind of major business and I walked in here to Archie and I said, guess what, Archie? You're my right-hand man. I'm going to Tahiti. Uh, Everything's in your hands now. I'm leaving it all up to you. I'd be like, all right, man. I'd be Okay. And I take off and I, 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 you know, I take the checkbook and I sign all the checks and then I hand him the checkbook. I'm out of here. I'm gone. That's what God did with mankind. It was ours. Everything. He gave us dominion over his creation. 
You know what Adam did? Yeah, I don't, I don't. You want what, Satan? There you go. There's the deed. There's the control. I'm giving it to you. You say we can be gods? I'll buy that. There you go. I'm believing you. You say that uh, uh, God is, has lied to me? Well, I'm going to believe that too. There you go. This is what God gave me. I'll give it to you. And he turned it over to Satan. Legally binding. You see, when Christ was tempted by Satan, what was one of the things that Satan offered him? He said, if you will bow down to me, what did he tell him? I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. Because they've been given to me. Well, guess who gave them to him? Yeah. We did. We did. Because God gave them to us to look over. And we spit in God's face. That's just as plain as I know to tell you how, how it happened. We spit in God's face. And you see what John is saying here? We love him because he first loved us. Don't try to tell me that now. I want you to understand. I'm not just talking to you this morning. I want you to understand there's a world out here that we have to witness to. And you have to understand how we're going to have to be able to witness to them. This is not the 1950s or the 60s anymore. This is 2016, and it's way different. And there's a people out there who think that they can achieve salvation on their own. They think they can be good enough to get to heaven. They think God is some kind of uh, cosmic genie out there that's not going to send anybody to hell. He's really a good guy. Uh, these Christian people have just got it wrong. You see, that's what we're dealing with in the world. They do not understand the gravity of our sin. They do not understand the gravity of our sinful nature. They do not understand that we cannot come to him first. He has to come to us. And this is what John was saying. We love him. Why? Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And you see, that's what the world has to see. That's what the world has to recognize. What do we say? Well, God, you know, I, I know I've sinned and everything, but, you know, uh, you really, I guess, you know, you created me, so you owe me this. I'm, that's the attitude of some people. Well, God, you know, uh, he's, he's really, he's not going to send anybody to hell. No, he's not. You will send yourself there because of unbelief. God's not going to send you there. And you see, the world has the understanding that somehow or another, they can reach around and grab a hold of God on their own. That they can do something in their life that's going to save them. That's what we're talking about. And you're going to meet people every day of your life who believe this who have been taught this. They're teaching it in so-called churches out here today that man can accomplish salvation on his own, that somehow man has to help God out with salvation when 
nothing could be further from the truth. We love him because he first loved us. Christian, you see, we have a duty today to a lost and a dying world. I understand we live in a world that is increasingly, increasingly, and shall become even more increasingly embroiled in hatred for anything of God. That includes you and me. I mean, that's the way that it's going to play, play out. That's the way that it is. And you see, it's very easy. If I walk up to Archie, slap his jaws, his first inclination is going to be what? Pop me right between the eyes. It? It'd probably be a throw down right here on the front row. And you see, that's what the world's doing to us, child of God. It's walking up and slapping our jaws. But what we have to do is to be like Christ. Think about that. Standing there before Caiaphas. Standing there before Pilate. What is truth? Jesus, he was talking to truth. He was talking to the truth. Had the audacity to ask him what truth was. And Jesus, the son of the living God, going through all of this shame, going through all of this guilt, going through all of this hatred against him, could at any moment, at any time, said, Father, this is enough. These people are not worth this. No more. This is over with, Father. Wipe them out. We can begin again, whatever we want to do. But these people are a lost cause. He could have done it. He's God. It's his right. But you know what he did. That's what I was trying to get across to you, how much he really does love us. Don't think, you see, that's what the devil lies to you. Oh, you ain't nothing. You ain't nobody. God don't love you. <laughs> no, no, no. You better back up. You better back up. Why do you think John 3.16 is one of the most recognizable verses in all of Scripture? Why do you think it has permeated into all of creation? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, it's hard to say it any better than that, isn't it? Well, it was Jesus that said it, so <laughs> what do you expect? He knowed how to put it. 
Church, we have to show that love to the world. We have to show that love to our family. We have to show that love to our friends. And do you know how hard that is? Yes, you do. You do. You know exactly how hard that is. You know what I'm talking about. You know how hard it is to show love in the face of hatred. To show love in the face of anger. To show love when there's nothing but hatred. But we have to do it because that's who we are. We have been called. We love him because he first loved us. Brother David, come with a verse of a song. And this will be our invitation. If you are here today and you have never believed in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we invite you to come down here. You can speak with us. You can kneel at this altar if you want to pray about it. However you want to handle that. But you understand this. You know this, that salvation is accomplished completely and solely through Jesus Christ. That you confess him, that you believe that he died for your sins, according to the scriptures. You believe that he was buried, that he rose again, according to the scriptures. Like John says, you confess that he is the son of God and you shall be saved. You can come and talk to me. We can handle that. You can come and pray. You can take care of that. You can do that right where you're at. Did you know that? You can, right where you're at, you can believe in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can do that. Wherever you're at, all you have to do is believe in faith, saying, this is it, Jesus. No more. My life is yours. My faith, my belief is in you from here on. And you'll be saved. You will be saved. If that's you today, let's take care of that before this day is over with. Let's take care of that before this service is over with because that'll be the greatest thing that will ever happen to you in your life. If there's a need that you have this morning that you want to come and pray about, you want church folks to come and meet with you and pray about, let's take care of that as well because that's why we've come this way, to uplift, to encourage, and to rejoice in the love of our Lord and Savior. What's the thing, Brother David? While we all stand, number 488.